Father, we do rejoice knowing that, Lord, you watch over us. Oh, God, we thank you that you never slumber nor sleep, but that, Lord, your eye is always on us. We are that little man in your eye that is never lost. We're the apple of your eye that is never lost. And Lord, because we knoweth, O God, that you watch over us constantly, it restrains us from some of the things that we would do because we're aware that our Heavenly Father is watching. And Lord, for this we give you thanks and we give you praise. And we pray, Father, that as you watch us, O God, that we would please thee and we would bring excitement to your heart by how we live. That we live in such a way that we're living, O God, as you have directed us to live, to be holy as you are holy. And that, Lord, we are practicing that. We're living it. We're doing all that we can do to experience what it is to live a holy life and to live in your presence. And Lord, help us, O God, as we walk with thee, that, Lord, we don't get lost so far behind that we no longer see you. But, Lord, help us to be able, O God, to be right there behind you. Every step, every movement, as we walk with you. And Lord, may our lives truly be a living sacrifice to you. May we surrender ourselves. May we give ourselves over to you, over to your spirit, that he might do whatever it is that pleases you in our lives. For truly, you are the potter, and we are the clay. May you mold us and fashion us, O God, after your own perfect will. Help us, Lord, not to kick against the prick. Help us not to be old, dried out, brittle clay. But, Lord, help us to be moist, workable, and pliable in your hands. Help us not to be stiff-necked and hard-headed. But, O God, May we be a people that you find joy in working with us. Because, Lord, you said that you would work in our lives until we see Jesus Christ face to face. Help us, Lord, to make your job in working in us easy comfortable and delightful that you can truly say that's my son that's my daughter in whom I am well pleased and Lord we'll give you the praise and all the glory in Jesus name amen amen all right salvation in the church I guess you say well pastor we've been on that theme well we're going to be on that theme for a while Because we need to understand salvation is of God, not of man. Salvation is of God. And as we keep diving into that, it's going to get a little deeper. Because if we're really saved, there should be no doubt in the minds of other people, per se. There should be some evidence and something that says... I am really saved, and I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And because I'm saved, it really does lead me into his church. Not out of his church, but into his church. Too many people say that they're saved, and they're out of the church, 
And they're saying, boy, yeah, I'm saved, I'm saved. But you're useless. The fruits of the Spirit begins its exercise within the church and then travels out. God growing us up begins in the church and then travels outward. And Christianity is not by age. But oftentimes, folks will take it by age. Because I'm this old, I'm mature in the Lord. Because I think this way, I'm mature in the Lord. Just because I can say, oh, I've been saved, I know the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm mature in the Lord. That's a bunch of hogwash. But people lean on those things. Now, John the Baptist is going to give us an example in many different areas as we look at his life. As we look at his life. Because with John the Baptist, it's a time of change. And when you're saved, it's a time of change. It's a time of change that begins to take place. And because you are saved and you're saying that you're saved and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, people begin to look at you differently. They see you differently. And that's why a lot of people have coined the word, you're just a hypocrite because they're not seeing anything what? You're seeing one thing while you're what? Doing something else. But John the Baptist shows us a time of change. That God instruments, that he does. The change that is going to take place really does start with John as that forerunner of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to do a little history lesson this morning. Because it's going to help us to understand why the change why God makes this change. And it's a radical change. And it's a different change that is going to take place. And oftentimes we forget about it. That whole process is that many people thought John the Baptist was the Messiah. One of the things we're going to learn about John the Baptist is this. Stay in your own lane. Know your position. Stay in that position. Unless the Lord changes it. In most races, you have to stay in the lane in which you have been assigned. You cannot go over into the other person's lane. You have to stay in that lane. And you have to run in that lane all the way. There's another run. I think it's the mile run or... 887 yard run. After you do the first lap around, you can change to any lane you want to. And most of them want to get very quickly where to? Over to the inside lane because now you're running less than if you stay in that outside lane. You can change lanes. And God is going to change lanes using John the Baptist. Now, keeping yourself in your position is important. And just think of John, and we're going to bring out some of them. John spoke to some pretty good-sized crowds. John was even asked, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you this or are you that? And John could have took on any of those things. But John knew how to stay in his lane. John knew how to stay in his position. John knew how to be what he was called to be. No doubt that John heard voices of other people. And see, in life sometimes, you can hear voices of other people. My wife and I, we were talking about a gentleman who we used to watch on TV a long time ago. When he was first starting off and he would have his Bible, we wouldn't miss him on Sunday morning before church. 
and he would have his Bible, and he'd be taking us down through Scripture and so forth. And now the only thing he does is back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, but no Bible. We, don't even, we haven't seen him have a Bible in his hand for some time now. Uh, maybe it is up on the screen in the back or something. I don't know because they don't show it. But we know when he started, we saw that Bible in his hand constantly. You know, you'll hear people congratulate you. You'll hear people pat you on the back. You'll hear people tell you how great you are. Let all that go on to the Lord. Don't let it stop here. Because it's very easy to do what with our heads. Yeah. Hey, you don't want it to stop. And John had the ability to take the praises of people or the criticism of people, but yet still knew what he was called to do and what God wanted him to do. There has been 400 years of silence now. And God is going to break that silence. And God is going to do some, ch- some changing around. For 400 years of silence, religious guidance is at the hands of the rabbis, the scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenians, Zulops, whatever group you want to name is that their hands in somewhat molding and shaping the religious tone of the day. The rabbis, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, who make void the law of God by inducing their own tradition. God is going to break tradition with John. God's going to break tradition with John. In 2 Maccabees, chapter 6, 42-43, and said, and Judas, Judas Maccabee, chose priests without blemish. He chose priests without blemish. What's the history trying to tell us? There were some messed up priests there were some priests that were blemished that maybe shouldn't have been there. And he said, chose priests without blemish who will was to set the will of God. They cleansed the holy place and took away the stones that had been defiled into an unclean place with their war with Syria. In 6-4, where the temple was full of the riot and rivalry of the Gentiles and men lying with lewd women. Taking place where? In the temple. And women trust themselves of their accord into holy place. Women stepped into that place called Holy of Holies where only the high priest, or just a male was to go. Women stepped in there and brought in things that were not lawful. The Maccabeans is a good history. Judas Maccabee defeated the Syrians. But in a few years, He had the Romans with him. He had cleaned the temple, set up a different priesthood. And now come the Romans. And they come at the weakest area of the temple, the north wall. But guess who comes along with them? Herod the Great. Herod the Great, who is not fully Jewish. But Herod the Great takes on a project 
after the Maccabean War, he takes on a project of rebuilding the temple. But he also starts something else. <clears throat> Herodians. A group of priests that would be loyal to Rome and Herod himself. Or the family or the dynasty of Herod. Out of this time period comes groups that we do not hear about in the Old Testament. But they appear now in the New Testament. These groups all started at the Maccabean War. They were not there previously. The Pharisees, Sadducees, the Herodians, and the Essenians. And there's the Zulaks too, but they come even much later than these four. These groups basically become more political than spiritual. The Asinian group stayed spiritual. And some historians say John the Baptist even learned from them. Even learned from them. Why? Because where Zacharias' home was was not far from the Asinians where they were. Basically in the same area that Elijah was born. And not too far from the brook Cherub, just across the Jordan. The Assyrians wrote in their community rule that they had separated from the habitation of unjust men and gone into the desert to prepare the way of him as it is written. The Assyrians started about a hundred years before John started his ministry. There's a possibility that Zacharias was either towards the end or was very much so a young man when the Maccabean Wars were fought. So he knew something of changes and so forth. The Essenians were also called this, and you may remember it from the book of Acts. They were also known as people of the way. People of the way. Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, they all had something in common. And we read about these other people because they're part of the group. But they're there with a special job. Some historians will even say Zacharias had a low meaning type of job. Being just that priest that he was. These names were of political parties social movements, and most important is this, they were of a school of thought. You were either impressed or influenced by this school of thought, or you were impressed and influenced by this school of thought. All these groups had three elements to them. Some of them go all the way back to Egypt. Some of them go much further past the time of the New Testament. You'll find with 
many kings of England and Spain and so forth. John Moore was called a lawyer, not a lawyer as we know of a lawyer today. But as he argued against James, he was a lawyer there in England. And the lawyer had a job of being able to debate or to argue from the scriptures. The priest was simply someone in the capacity of being able to serve. That's why in New Testament, all believers are called what? Priests. Why? We all what? Serve. The scribes were someone, and you read about them in the New Testament, the scribe was somebody who could write and read. Now understand this. Every priest could not read. <laughs> Some priest's job was mainly moving the ashes. If you went back further in the Old Testament. Some priest's job was getting the sacrifice prepared already. Some priest's job, if you're going to have fire, you got to have wood. Some priest's job was getting the wood into the right places. They were workers. It took a whole tribe called Levites to take care of the needs of the temple. Because who cleaned up all that mess after all those sacrifices? Who carried out whatever was left over? job of the priest. But there's something else that was there among the Pharisees, the Sadducees, or these scribes, because they were the ones who would write and read. It was the lawyer who was called the expert of the Mosaic law or of your philosophy that you presented to the people. That so-called lawyer, that brain of brain, that, that one who could truly speak and grab your attention and share that philosophy or that teaching of that group was known as the Lawyer. Now, here's the Pharisee. Remember what I said earlier? Either you believed this or you believed this over here. One thing you need to understand with the Maccabean Wars, the high priest changed because now the high priest is basically have to be appointed or approved by who? Rome. By Rome. So he's no longer a Jewish person sitting there as high priest. So this whole thing changes by the time we get to the New Testament. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. That's what they were noted for. And they also believed in this great Messiah that was going to come and deliver them from Rome or to be a ruler there in Jerusalem who would bring peace to the world. They believed in this one that was coming that made you a Pharisee if you believed in the resurrection and if you believed in this Messiah coming. You were in that Pharisee camp. A Sadducee didn't believe in the resurrection. And they expected, and they accepted only the five books of Moses. Forget about angels, forget about miracles. 
Forget about all this other stuff. Just what's in the five books of Moses, the Sadducees. Turn with me to Acts 23. Look what Paul does because Paul recognizes something. And Paul uses it to help him out. And, and the whole process here is what develops, though, and what they lose sight of, and what the fight becomes over. It says, Then Paul knowing, in verse 6, Then Paul knowing that some of them were Sadducees. Well, just being a Sadducee, what, what's Sadducee? But Paul knowing the teaching of the Sadducees. Paul knowing what the Sadducees stood for. And Paul says, these are Sadducees. Then Paul knowing that some of them were Sadducees and other Pharisees. Boy, Pharisees. I got these two groups trying to lynch me. I got these two groups trying to do something to me. Paul's saying then, how do I divide them? (laughs) And Paul does divide them. Based on their philosophy and their teaching. He divides them. Which was to his benefit. But Paul also then Recognize he has to what? Acknowledge one of them. So you don't hear Paul stand up saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, because both of them would have said, crucify him, crucify him. You hear Paul crying out this. I am a Pharisee. Not a Christian at this point. But I am a what? A Pharisee. The son of a Pharisee. He went back into his what? Into his history. Into his family. And since then, we've always followed the teaching and the philosophy of a who? Of a Pharisees. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in the coming Messiah. We believe in those things. We believe in angels. And the other Pharisees called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of Pharisee. I stand on, I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection. He takes part of their teaching, which he does hold to. I'm being judged because I believe in the resurrection. Of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those two began to fight about themselves. Now they forgot about why they brought Paul there, and they began to fight among who? Themselves. And he moves on and he says, between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees said that there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. They're beginning now to argue about their what? Their philosophy, their position. In a sense, they have forgotten who now. Paul. Paul had become a secondary thing. Third or fourth thing. And what's important now, we defend our what? Our philosophy or our teaching. And they admit that they did not accept the resurrection, angels, spirits, all this other stuff that the Pharisees did. 
Then he says, there was a great uproar and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. What's the job of the lawyer? To argue or defend the philosophy of that group. To articulate and to share. He was the expert in order to defend that group's position. Now, John's fight and this is something we'll see. Only God could have done this. God fights, John fights against both of them. In the temple, there was two main groups. Those two main groups, Pharisees, Sadducees. They both also made up what was called the Sanhedrin. And there was that shared ruling, in a sense. But these two constantly warred with each other. Amazing what God is going to do in showing forth his change is this. He's going to pluck John out from between that and put John to the outside. And John winds up fighting against both groups. Why? Both groups were wrong. You can have a good philosophy, but you're following more of your tradition than you are your philosophy or your main teaching. You're lost with it. And both of these groups had lost their vision of the coming Messiah and what God was going to do. And God, in a sense, takes John out from between them. If he would have stayed in the temple, he would most likely have followed the philosophy of who? The Pharisee, which was the philosophy, I believe, of his father, Pharisee, than that of the Sadducee. Herod, nor Herod or the Herodians, are strong supporters of Rome and the Herod family. Turn with me to Mark 3, 6. Mark 3, verse 6. Look who teams up here in order to go against Jesus. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians. They began to plot with their enemy. Remember, the Pharisees do not care for who? For Rome. They don't care for who? Herod and his dynasty and his family and his group. But yet, two enemies come together in order to fight against Jesus Christ. And John is going to have to stand against both of them. So now it's three. He's standing against the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees that John will be standing against. That takes some courageous courage and strength to stand and know what you are standing for. And not be blown over. And refuse to be ran over, in a sense. 
in Luke 1, 5, it tells us something. It, it lets us know something about this John by speaking about dad and mom. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zacharias who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly. With all this mess around them and in this cesspool, much like what we live in today, these two were able to keep a focus upon God and live a life that was devoted to God. Even though I follow the principles of the Pharisee or the Sadducee or this group or that group, I keep my focus on Jesus Christ. I keep my focus on God's Word. It doesn't matter what denomination I'm in. My focus is on who? Jesus. And that's what John is able to do. To keep his focus. Because Satan's going to do everything he can do to cause us to lose focus. That's why the scripture tells us in Hebrew, keep your eyes fixed on who? On Jesus. Don't get them lost on a pastor. Don't get them lost on a denomination. Don't get them lost in something else. You keep your eyes on Jesus Christ and you fix them there. And you stay there. And with all this mess, this priest was able to do his work. But more than that, stay devoted to the one true God of Israel. And because of that, if I follow tradition, going back to Leviticus and Numbers, just by birthright, John is a priest. Just by birthright, John is a priest. And what you're going to see in Scripture and so forth, and I want you to understand, John leaves all of that to do what God is calling him to do. John left a guaranteed meal, in a sense. John left a guaranteed job, in a sense. John left somewhat of a life, I don't want to say ease, because all priests did not have it easy. And Zechariah did not live in Jerusalem. He lived some ways out from Jerusalem, in Judea, in the desert area. And he would have to travel in to do his service. But his home was in Judea. He would have to serve maybe only twice a year. But he would make it in and do his service. But this is something that is unique because it tells us in the scripture this time in his service, he was going to handle the incense that he was chosen to do that. Go with me to verse 8 and 9 in Luke 1. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest, He's already serving. He's already doing what he's been asked to do. 
He gets chosen. And history tells us this. To do the incense, you might, you might, you might get chosen once in a lifetime. To do the incense, you might get chosen only one time in a lifetime to do that. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, catch verse 10, because it's so important. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying, whereat? Outside. Outside. They're praying outside. Not inside. Outside. Now we understand why Zacharias himself was in there, what? By him, what? By himself. But what did the incense represent? If you ever attend a Catholic Mass... Once Mass starts, the priest will come down the lane with his incense. And he usually stops in the middle. He'll wave it this way, this way, this way, way, and then continue on down. It's a symbolicness of all the prayers and all the worship that is taking place. The smoke from the incense does what? It rises that all the prayers of the worshipers and the people are rising before God. In one unity. And that symbolism of what he was chosen to do was to represent all Israel. And that the worship of all Israel would rise before God. I believe Zechariah's name meant Jehovah remembers. The symbol of the prayer of the whole nation. It was a moment in which the nation's attention, in a sense, was supposed to be on who? On God. God, after 400 years of silence, is going to speak to this nation. And he gets their attention by their focus on Zacharias. God captures their attention. Not because he's the high priest. Not because he's a lawyer. Not because he's the scribe. But he's just a priest doing his little work around. And God chose him. God chose him to capture the attention of this nation. How does he do it? If Joanna come in here next week saying, I'm pregnant. <laughs> would, you, would your attention be captured on Charles? <laughs> Aquin one time had that experience by Reverend Robert Allen. Robert Allen's wife was 54 years old and went to the doctor because of sickness and found out she was pregnant. 54 years old. We used to kid Robert Allen Jr. (laughs) about his dad. (laughs) 
He was the president of the labor union here in Akron. And he also pastored. But his wife at 54 years old was pregnant. I'm so happy my wife is past that age. But it caught the attention of a nation. Could you imagine the talk that went out? Could you imagine all that was said that took place? Look at that verse 24. He says, After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said, in these days. She recognized where it comes from. This is something God did in answering their prayer. This is something God's working in their life. But God, more than that, is using them to capture the focus of a nation. Because everybody knew they were both up in age. And in verse 18, Zacharias even admits that. Today, we're old, we're old, we're old. And I'm going to assume at this point he's talking past 50. That they're old. But what is impossible for man is possible with who? With God. Then when you hit verse 64... It's amazing, but it crystallizes that God caught the attention. God caught their attention. And you can really see it in verse 64. Okay, I lost my speech. I'm not speaking. Maybe I had a stroke. And I'm not speaking. But all of a sudden, I get full clarity of my speech back. My mouth opens. You think people will talk about that? Think people will tell their neighbor? So, in the verse 64, he says, I'm getting these glasses and eyes all straightened out. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with what? Yeah. They're all filled with awe. And when you're filled with awe and something takes you by surprise and something goes beyond what you can think of and what you can figure out, you begin to share it with other people. You begin to tell other people what happened. And you even use the word, it was amazing. I never thought anything like that could happen. And God captures the attention of a nation over the issue of a woman being pregnant and a man's mouth being closed. And now a man's mouth is open. And the people are with awe. Two things that happen in this family that should not have happened. And how do we explain it? There's no real explanation of it. Other than God. What has happened in your life lately? That the only explanation of it is God. Sometimes we miss that because we somehow don't give God credit even among Christians sometimes. We use the word too frequently, luck. There is not luck in your life. Is God opening the door or God closing the door? Is either God blessing you or God cursing you? Is either God giving you or God taking from you? It's not luck. 
And these people are at awe because they don't understand what took place. But God knows what He's doing because He is capturing the attention of a nation. Because He's going to speak to them. He's going to speak to them. And it goes on there and it says, boy, in 65, the neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judah, people were talking. Man, it spread pretty quick. It happened where at? Jerusalem, now it spread its where to? All the way to Judea. It then traveled pretty fast. People were talking about these things, these things, those two things that had happened. This woman past age being pregnant, this man who lost his speech then regained it, born. And then declaring that his son's name would be John, either Zacharias told his wife, his name would be John, or the angel told her. But she insists that it will be John. But what it shows to us in Scripture is this, is the little authority that a woman had. And God opens whose mouth to say his name would be John? Zacharias. Because Zacharias now agrees with God. Not arguing with him, he agrees with him. And he says, his name will be John. Now understand this, because of this is what took place. John is famous before he's even born. John is being talked about even before he's born. John is being talked about before he's ever seen. Go a little further with me. He says in verse 66, Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, look what they're asking, what then is this child going to be? What? Because of these two things that happen to the parents here, the question is, what is this child going to be? What is this child going to be? What is this child going to be? What's so special about this child that these two things would happen? Is this child going to be a great prophet? Is this child going to be the Messiah that we've been looking for? Is this child going to be another David for us? What is this child going to be? Because of these two things that took place, God got the attention of a nation. Now, God has people talking about this and asking all kinds of questions. Now, let me ask you, as we continue to explore John, I want you to ask yourself something. What are people saying about you? What are you going to be? What are you going to be? And what are people saying about you? If you are a Christian, you are far more than just a Christian. You are a saint of God. You are a child of God. You're an ambassador for God. You are a priest for God. You are a son and daughter of God. By the way you live and by the way you reveal yourself, by the way you show yourself, do you cause people to talk? 
Do you cause people to focus on you? Do you cause people to scratch their head and say, they're different. They're odd. There's something about them. John had that going on way before John was born. Because what God was doing in the life of his parents. We're going to pick up because I want to show you the song of Zacharias and break that song down because when something great happens in our life don't we praise God? If we know him we praise him. And then the second part, what John's commissioned to do. What John's commissioned to do. And you need to understand something. Because God gives you new life. And in a sense, because God birthed you as a Christian, he also commissions you to sit up front with your dad. He commissions you to do something. And what we're going to look at is those two parts, the praise commission of John. And remember what I said? In the commission, you're going to see God take John out of the temple. And if you make a list for yourself, a list of what his father may have done in the temple, and then the list of what John does outside the temple. Because God separates him from the temple and sends him out because God is changing tradition now. Although I was born of a father and a mother who was in the lineage of a priesthood, God changes that. And you can tell something in this text that had already changed about the priesthood. And oftentimes we miss it. Zachariah said he was old. When you go back to Numbers 4, verse 3, you started when you were 30 and you ended when you were 50. That's why I say I believe Zacharias is past the age 50. Because the new rule was you could work until your infirmities got you and you couldn't work anymore. That's a change. The high priesthood had been changed. Now you got Pharisees and Sadducees both in the thing. A change. And God said, This is not what I started. And He's going to step out of it with John. And we're going to see the different ministry that develops with John that may have been different than what was in the Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. That, Lord, that you might minister to us. And that we might see ourselves in John, that we might understand, in one sense, Lord, we are a voice crying in the wilderness. We are a people calling people to repentance. Because, Lord, truly, the kingdom of God is at hand and our Lord Jesus is at the door ready to come back. Help us to see, O oh God, some of the things that we will have to stand against and yet be engaged with. 
Because one of the things that we will see with John is that he was engaged with the people. He was engaged with the people. Lord, may you open our hearts and our minds. May you minister to us that we dig deeper into your word. And we want to know more than just what's on top surface. But we want the golden nuggets beneath it. May you, O oh God, cause us to dig and cause our hearts to rejoice. And even ask the question, what is our God doing? And expect him to reveal it to us. May you bless us, Lord, as the next couple weeks we look at John. And we'll give you praise. Now may you bless as we give. That Lord that you would take and multiply. And use this offering. For the further of your kingdom. And may we give Lord. Not with a grudging heart. But with a rejoicing heart. Thanking you Lord. For the opportunity to give. In Jesus name. Amen. Let the hymn.